Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 4Press Podcast by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is Steve DiMeglio, senior writer with Golf Week and USA Today's lead golf writer. Steve is in the Chicago area right now covering the PGA Tour's second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, the BMW Championship at Medina Golf Club. In the conversation you're about to hear, Steve and I discuss uh, the slow play controversy that is unfortunately rearing its ugly head once again on the PGA Tour. We talk about Tiger Woods and what to expect going forward. We preview the BMW Championship, and then Steve and I try and give an accurate over-under on the number of delicious hot dogs Steve is going to eat while he is in the Chicago area. So before I bring on Steve DeMegli, I want to talk a little bit about Jason Day and his breakup with his caddy, Steve Williams. It came out overnight, Sunday night into Monday, first reported by the Australian Associated Press that Day and Williams were splitting up. Um, they had participated together in about six tournaments this season, starting at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, at that event, Jason Day finished tied for 21st. And really the, the talk was this is a long-term play on the part of Jason Day. He wanted to have somebody who had been there and done that. And certainly when it comes to caddy, Steve Williams, having worked with Greg Norman, having obviously had a huge long run, very successful run with Tiger Woods, it seemed like exactly what Jason Day needed, which was someone who could look him in the eye, give him a kick in the pants, and not only give him great advice on the golf course, but probably motivate him and help him to to hone his game back up. You have to remember, Jason Day is a former world number one. He should be amongst the elite players uh, in the world today, but that has not been the case. Um, during their six-event run, Day really only had one top ten finish. That was a tie for eighth at the Travelers Championships, and he missed the cut at the British Open as well as last week at the Northern Trust. And I had an opportunity, since I was at the Northern Trust, I was walking down into the parking lot area, which is almost like in a pit. And at the bottom of a long staircase going down into that pit, there was Jason Day talking very quietly, leaning against a railing with Steve Williams. And it was very clear by their body language that – it was a pretty tense conversation was going on. Did I know that they were in the process potentially right there of ending their professional relationship? No, I had no idea. They they were in the process of missing the cut. So they weren't going to be jumping around giving high fives and and you know to- toasting with Heineken's. But Jason Day and, and Steve Williams breaking up sort of got me thinking about caddies and how by and large, caddies are great guys. I mean, for the most part, I have an opportunity to, to talk with a lot of caddies when I go to PGA Tour events, and they are fantastic sources of information, usually very friendly, very accommodating to me as a media member and to a lot of fans as well. Michael Greller, who caddies for Jordan Spieth, is a fantastic guy. Couldn't be more friendly. Um, Ricky Elliott, who I've gotten to know a little bit over the course of this year, who he caddies for Brooks Kepka, super friendly, very accommodating with all the demands that that elite players get placed upon them um photographs of equipment little kids along the line asking for golf balls for gloves um the, the you know ricky elliott this year has been has been super with that stuff joey lacava who's been 
caddying for Tiger Woods could not be more gracious or professional. Um, it's interesting. A lot of people think that he's this really gruff, grizzly guy. Um, when I make conversation with him and he and I chat, he could not be more professional, more helpful. Uh, the answer for me is almost always yes, unless there's a very clear, clear reason why the answer should be no. Um, so to me, caddies are fantastic. And for Jason Day, who I think the world of, he is loaded with talent. He should be winning. He should be contending. Jason Day should right now be in his prime, and he's not. Statistically, he is the only person to ever finish a PGA Tour season with a strokes game putting average over one, which is just unfathomably good. I hope that he doesn't squander more prime time and more parts of what should be the prime of his career adrift, not being able to put it together, not being able to maximize his talent. Finding a good caddy is going to be really critical for him. We'll see what he does at the BMW Championship. He needs to have a good performance. He's going to make it to the Tour Championship at Eastlake. I'll be fascinated to see what's going to happen, though, this week with Jason Day because he's just too good. He, he should be a world top 10 player. He should be contending for more major championships. I think it's possible, but right now there's some questions that need to be answered. And now I'll come off of my soapbox, and here is Steve DiMeglio. So, Steve DiMeglio, you are just outside of Chicago, Illinois. It's the BMW Championship this week, and uh, where are you? I'm in a place called Wooddale, Illinois. Um, as the crow flies, probably about 4.5 miles from uh, Madonna Country Club. And it takes me, uh, oh, I don't know, it's 6.1 miles to get to Medina. So in traffic, it's a little traffic, probably 10 minutes. So that's perfect. Easy drive. That's perfect for you for when you're, you're training for your 10K, because I know how much you lo- love to go out running before you go follow guys on the golf course. Yeah, it'd be a long walk. Uh, and th- I'll tell you one thing, you can get your exercise walking this golf course. So. Um, it's a it's a big ballpark. We'll get to talking about Medina yeah. and stuff like that here in just just a couple minutes. But uh, not to bury the lead, as they sort of say to us when we go into the media tent. A couple different storylines sort of came through, and the first one I want to talk to you about, unfortunately, is one of my least favorite topics, which is slow play. I have, uh, as you you've been in the golf business for a long, long time. I have as well. This has been bubbling around and sort of seems to rear its ugly head every few months as you were watching the coverage from home last week what what impression did you get about the storyline if you will of slow play how much of an impression did it get or is it something that was maybe a little bit bigger deal inside the media tent as some people were talking about it um and buzzing around on social media what what sense during the broadcast did you get uh, about slow play being an issue well if uh as i watched on saturday and sunday um from wall-to-wall coverage um, if the announcers had been talking about slow play, you wouldn't have thought of anything because there were no instances that I remember watching on Saturday and Sunday having to deal with slow play. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with players playing in twosomes as opposed to playing in threesomes. That'll um, help. Yep, that'll help. But, uh, you know, I don't know if, it, if the right word is unfair to Bryson that um, now, as far as I know, there was no video shot of Bryson and what he did. Uh, on when he took two minutes and 20 seconds to hit his putt it was basically all the the screen grabs of the of the uh pga tours cat webcast of that uh yep of that hole now if that had been a regular term on saturday and sunday they would have cut away from him we wouldn't have known anything so in that sense it's a little unfair for him um and yes and i talked to him this morning bryson was one of the few golfers that were here at medina um, and incidentally, he told me that he was not, he nor his group was put on a time warning 
once last week. Interesting. Really interesting. So, because obviously coming out of there on social media, you would have thought that they would have released the hounds on that guy oh, at some point. And, and he should have. Something should have been said to him. You cannot take two minutes and 20 seconds to hit a putt. No. But he's not the only one. Now, he might be the only one that we've ever seen take two minutes and 20 seconds to hit a putt. But we've seen players take two minutes to hit a shot. We've seen players take a minute and a half. We've seen players other two. And again, I'm not justifying what Bryson did, but he's not the only one. But having said all that, again, there was no problems with slow play on Saturday and Sunday. And when anybody asks me about slow play, I always think of this. Two things. One, I've been writing about it for 10 years. And, and each time I try to find some way of, of showcasing slow play. And I've come up with incidences that happened in 1994, 1985, 1975, 1966, 1950s. Yep, this is not a new problem. 1940s. So, and the other one is it seems that threesomes never take more than five hours to play on the West Coast. Why is that? Because that threat of that sun coming down mm. and forcing them to come back early in the morning to finish their rounds. So, you know, if I were commissioner in, in total control, I'd go, okay, guys, everybody's on the clock on the first tee. It would put make, yeah, I mean, it. basically creating a sense, whether it's artificial or it's, you know, whatever, of, of urgency in the player's mind. And if you can get around Tory Pines, again, sort of like Medina, like we had – Last week at Liberty National, a big ballpark. That's a big walk around Torrey. But you're, if for what you're saying, they can get it around there the first couple days in in a reasonable amount of time, then you can pretty much get it around anywhere. Right. And, and again, I don't know. There's so many different factors that play into if there is a slow play problem. And again, if I had to take one side, I'd say there is slightly a slow play problem. I don't know how major it is. But there's a lot of factors, and I don't know if you can, can – you can go. You can take care of all these problems. The fields are too big. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got 156 players, 152 players, 148 players. That's too many. Everybody can reach the par fives in two. So now you have log jams back on the par fives. Um, the greens are probably too fast. If you're running, probably 13, yeah. <laughs> if they're running 13 and a half on the stint meter, everybody's going to take more time to uh, putt. The brook. The the green reading books, that's getting a little, you know, that has added some time into it, too. Agreed. Um, but I can go on the other side of the debate where, well, if you eliminate the green reading books, uh, would you eliminate the yardage books? And so, you know, if you eliminate one, shouldn't you eliminate the other one? If you don't eliminate one, can't eliminate the other. So, again... And there's other factors, too. You know, weather plays into it. You know, you know you're going to take a lot more time if it's windy, especially at a golf course like Augusta National, especially at a U.S. Open, especially at an Open Championship, at a Medina this weekend that we're going to see coming up this week. And the tougher golf courses, you're going to take longer if there's wind and especially if there's rain. Um, so there's a lot of things I don't know if they can control. You can control field size, sure, but. One of the two missions that the PGA Tour has is playing opportunities for its membership and uh, raising money for charity. So if you cut back on playing opportunities, that's against their mission. So I don't think they're ever going to cut field sizes. But I, as I find we myself, have seen, yeah, I mean, I find myself, Steve, not to interrupt you, but I find myself no, talking out of out of both sides of my own mouth on this debate, and part of me feels that slow play is something that 
whether it's intentional or not or whatever, the, the, the greatest victim is the person who's playing alongside the guy who's playing really slow. And Tiger talked about that a little bit in his press conference um, after his uh, his practice round, actually his pro-am on Wednesday, when he said, you know, guys know who the slow players are out here, which is not exactly a revelation. We, we, we're, we're aware of that. And he, it was interesting. He said, sometimes guys will go out and when they play or they know they're going to play with somebody who's slow, they'll play even slower the first couple holes to make sure that they get on the clock early and speed it up, which I thought was just just crazy. But at the mm-hmm. same time, given the amount of money that the guys are playing for every single week, last week Patrick Reed, you know, granted, it's a big tournament at the Northern Trust, you know, he's he's picking up what I think it was like one point six or something like that, million dollars. The guys are literally playing for millions of dollars. And and if, if I were in their position, would I be worried about the time? Hell no, I wouldn't be. You, you I would absolutely, especially in major championships, US Opens you talked about, the Masters, all of these things, you're you're playing for the most prestigious prizes in the game. And if it takes me uh, an extra 30 seconds to line up something or, you know, barring a lost ball situation, which is not what we're talking about or those kind of things. Yeah. I I always have thought you got to take your time. You've got to do that. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because as I'm following guys, let's go, come on. I mean, ready, aim, fire, but uh, it's, it's just not really a simple issue. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, do you think that, that the slow play conversation that we're having now is in any way the product of Brooks Kepka having made this an issue starting over the course of this summer. When Tiger Woods was number one, if he was asked about slow play, he would comment on it. Brooks brought this up, and this is one of the things that he he has been very vocal about it. Rory McIlroy being a little more vocal than I recall, um, and it seems like some very big names are making this an issue. Well, I think what's making it more of an issue is social media. I think more and more people are seeing it. Um, I can't tell you, I don't know if anybody can, how many people actually watched the golf this week, but, and there have to be people who didn't watch it, but still saw some, what Bryson did on Twitter or what Bryson did on Facebook or what Bryson did on Instagram. Um, and I think there is more of a voice now. It looked like Eddie Pepperell called Bryson DeChambeau a derogatory name on Sunday or on Saturday and then apologized for it on social media today, on Monday. So these guys have a bigger voice. There's another thing. More players have voices. Yep. I mean, how many players were asked about slow play 10 years ago? Maybe a handful, maybe 10. Now everybody can chime in if they want, and a lot of more players are chiming in. Um, you know, and here's an interesting thing that just popped in my head. It can be reversed too. A player can play too fast to throw off another player. Like, so like Roy McIlroy says, one of the biggest problems he made in the final round of that masters when he shot 80 and he blew a four shot lead was he didn't want to play too slow to, uh, on Cabrera was his, uh, playing partner. Mm-hmm. He said, I wanted to play, keep up with on Cabrera not to be rude well Angel Cabrera is lightning yeah and that threw Rory off so I mean do we have to take care of that do we have to ask ourselves that um is somebody playing too fast um I don't know and again and I hate to use it this isn't going to be solved quickly well and that was (laughs) sort of leading into my next question is that five years from now are we still talking about slow play or is there a fix I think we'll still be talking about it because I think one 
I hope Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, has turned a little bit of the corner when he absolutely insisted that there is no slow, slow, slow play issue on the PGA Tour. Well, there is certainly an issue. I mean, whether it's right or wrong, whether there is a slow play problem or not, you can't have players sniping, sniping at each other. No, that's bad. For you the can't. Brain. You can't call up on Twitter and see people tweeting, "I'm quitting watching the PGA Tour." because I've seen this, this, or that. I can't take it anymore. You can't have that. So there is some sort of an issue out there. They have come out and said that they're going to address it. They're going to look at Shatling data. They're going to look at other factors. I would hope that the Players Action Council, uh, Advisory Council, gets together, has a meeting with Jay, has a meeting with the board of directors, the player board of directors, and they come up with a list, a task force, if you will call it, <laughs> And say, so what do we do? I mean, do we limit field sizes? Well, we can't do that because we have playing opportunities. Um, okay, do we time them? Do we have a walking official? And you are on the clock over and over and over again. Do we start finding them? There's the other thing. There is no deterrent right now. Nope. For a slow play penalty is, when's the last one? I can't even remember. It's been so long. There have been so few. But if they knew, all right, it's a shot. Or if they knew, it's two shots. Or like if you've been warned the very next uh, error that you make, boom, that's a shot or two shots or 50 FedEx Cup points or 100 FedEx Cup points or a fine that would really, really matter. I think they have to look at all of these things. And again, I don't know. I, I've rarely seen – okay, we know what happened with Sergio when he was regripping, regripping, regripping at the PGA Championship at, at Bethpage Black and the crowd got on him. I can't think of many other times, or I can't even think of any other time, where the fans that are there are jumping all over the players to play faster. It's, it's When people say the game of baseball is too slow, I tell you what, I've never heard that when I've been at a game. Yeah, I've never I, heard anybody I, I arguing at a game. I agree. I mean, I don't think anybody at Wrigley Field's arguing that the game's taking too long, or no, if you're at Fenway, the game's taking too long. If you're if you're at Wrigley Field, that's just more time to drink old styles and soak up the well. sun. I mean, so you know, you, you're you're you can never have enough time for that. Um, it's I, I get the I get everybody's point. I was out there walking. Um, I think I was walking with Jordan Spieth on Friday. And I was talking with a writer who was putting together a slow play story that's going to probably come out at some point this week. If it's not already out, I haven't checked. And this person was really adamant about like, oh, this is this is terrible. It's a big problem. And, and the first thought that crossed my mind, and you sort of touched on it, is, well, well, this is nothing new. And and I think I probably came off really pessimistically in, in the conversation because I honestly – I agree with you. I don't see, number one, an obvious and easy fix. And number two um, – I'm very pessimistic about anything really substantively happening and this really going away. I, I, I think that the television audience, when they are watching, because the, the show that you're watching is produced, you can move from hole to hole and place to place. If there seems to be a holdup at one particular spot with a player, they simply break away and you see that player eventually hit their shot either live when they can come up to it or on delay. And when you're at the tournament, if you know, and I've had a chance to walk around and I see the broadcast happening and then people will text me 2 or 3 minutes later asking about a shot that I know happened a while ago, then you sort of see often that there's a stagger. Um it's I, I just don't see this thing as being a, such a big deal for the TV audience. I I do like I said at the beginning of this feel for sometimes the players who are playing with people who are slow 
part of me thinks that you have to adapt. Um, one of the guys who's having trouble adapting right now, obviously, is is Tiger Woods. Um, I had a chance to walk with him during his pro-am on Wednesday. He didn't hit a single full swing shot on the back nine. Um, seemed to be able to right the ship in terms of his ability to hit shots. He had some fantastic drives on Thursday, shoots 75, then withdraws first thing Friday morning. What was your reaction, Steve, when you heard the news that Tiger Woods had withdrawn from the Northern Trust? Well, you know, I, I wish I had been there, so I would have had a better understanding. I would have had a first-hand look at it. Um, it's never a good sign. It's never. I, I can't remember what player told me um, back after when Tiger came back from his fusion surgery that every little ache and pain that we hear about or every pain that Tiger talks about is going to be an alarm clock going off. Um, I mean, your back is fused, and you have some metal in there now. And now it's metal on bone. Um, that is how much better, how, how long can it last? So any minor injury with him or any major injury, a mild oblique strain isn't, not, isn't minor, even though it says mild. You have to wonder, is it more than that? Um, you know, is there more to this than what we've been told? Um but, you know, like I've, what I heard from play, and I, I talked to some people that were there watching and walking with him, that Tiger looked fine Tuesday. He was not fine Wednesday, but physically he looked fine on Thursday. Um, so it is day-to-day with him from now on until the, his days are done. Um, but it's never a good sign when Tiger's WD. It's never a good sign when you see him. You know, I don't understand. He comes off the overnight flight over to Royal Portrush, and he's at the golf course within two hours hitting golf balls. I mean, did you really need to get that first look on a Sunday morning after coming off of a flight, uh, you know, an overnight flight? And he looked groggy. He looked out of sorts that first day he was at Royal Portrush for the Open Championship. Um, It was pouring out rain at the PGA Championship, but he looked fine. Mm -hmm. You know, now... He didn't play well there, but we didn't. We weren't concerned by, hey, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? Um, but now, you know, when we see him, it has been at Royal Portrush. We were wondering, you know, especially the first two days um, when he was in practice rounds, is he okay? But then we saw him on Wednesday, and then we saw him in the first two. Now, again, he missed the cut, but he looked fine Thursday and Friday, especially Friday. So, again, um, does what he's accomplished this year at Augusta National now seem more improbable to you, given the fact that he has played as little as he's played this season and came out and said that he can't practice as much as he wants to and certainly can't practice as much as he used to, which to me, I look back at what he did at the Masters, and it's just that much more remarkable to me. Well, to me, it is, I, I take the other look because he had no issues going into Augusta, and he had played quite a bit of golf. You know, he played Farmers. He played L.A., he played Mexico, he did WD from Arnie's, but then he went and played the players, and then he went deep into the match play. Um, He went out and had that friendly, nice, comfortable walk around the golf course on Sunday at Augusta. We saw him on Monday, he looked great. We saw him on Tuesday, he looked great. We saw him on Wednesday, he looked great. He just, he had a different look. So up to then, it wasn't, it's still remarkable that he won the Masters, from where he was one time, you know, two years ago, a year ago. But now I don't think the fact that he hasn't done anything since then makes that even more remarkable because we weren't thinking about it back then. 
he was a fit man that we were watching play golf. And going forward is that, you know, yeah, you know, his, his, know. his years sort of just been so odd. And it strikes me as you're saying that. What is your biggest concern with regard to Tiger and success, however you sort of want to define it, going forward? Is it the back or is it the lack of practice that he practice time that he's going to be able to put in because of the back? Because to me, on Thursday, he looked extremely rusty. There were specific shots that looked brilliant. I thought he drove the ball well. He was on a couple holes, 30 yards past JT Poston and Scott Piercy. I mean, he was really moving it. He hit some putts that looked good. He hit some irons that looked terrible. Um, he, he, to me, d- was the definition of rusty. And I can tell you that I was talking with Joey LaCava um, on when, excuse me, on Tuesday, right before he went out and played that quick little practice sort of loop with uh, Brooks, and he played with DJ, and, and actually with Harold Varner as well was the fourth there. And mm-hmm. I took a look at Tiger's wedges, and they were rusty to the point where Joey was wiping it off, which to me it's not impossible that Tiger has a couple different sets, maybe has a home set, maybe has a tournament, whatever, but those clubs hadn't been hit in several days. Raw steel, given exposure, as you know, to to moisture in the air, if you don't hit the ball, will start to corrode and, and rust up a little bit. So I was wondering how much he'd been practicing. What's what's the bigger concern to you? The, the, the back injuries themselves or the effect of the back not allowing him to practice? I would say the back. I mean, it's the if his back's not right, I can't see him doing this 10 more times. I can't see him not being able to put in the time for a tournament, going to that tournament and missing a cut. I don't see him for doing that much longer. And if he, he and the only reason he's doing that is because his back won't allow him to be prepared. So I would imagine... We won't see Tiger do this much longer if his back stays, if he still has problems, if he's still not able to prepare properly for any tournament. I don't see him going forward. I don't see him playing. And that's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is this is bigger than we were being told that this could be a major thing. We might have seen Tiger hit his last shot. I know that's hyperbole. I know that's getting a little ahead of myself. But that, I'm telling you, that's a concern. It's obviously a concern with a man that has a fused back, which was his fourth surgery on his back. And you throw in four surgeries on his left knee, assorted other surgeries. And that's and, the stuff uh, that we know about, so, as you're sort of alluding yeah. to. And that's what we know, which leads me to think that there's um, there's no way he can pick himself to be a member of the, the President's Cup team. I know that TV is really hoping that Tiger Woods is a player captain. I'm sure... The PGA Tour is hoping he's going to be a player captain. I'm, I'm sure Tiger wants to be a player captain. He, he, he. I think, wants to compete as much as ever. But as he said, and you heard, and all of us are now aware, like the back is a day-to-day thing in perpetuity. This is what it's going to be. He keeps saying some days it's, it's stiff and it's troublesome. Other days it feels good. And it was stiff and troublesome, which we understood at the PGA Championship in a blustery Beth Page Black and, and Farmingdale, New York. It was not ideal weather conditions and cold and damp and all that stuff at Royal Port Rush. It was warm, Steve. It was eighty to eighty-five degrees and humid. If you couldn't get loose in at, at the Northern Trust at Liberty National this last week, then it wasn't going to happen. So yeah. it doesn't seem like it's weather dependent. He can't pick himself, can he? 
No, I not right now. There's no way. Um, first of all, Patrick Reed knocked him out of the top 12. So now, you know, uh, Tiger's at 13th. And I, I talked to Zach Johnson and Davis Love the third in the last three days. Um, Davis Love was the, the Ryder Cup captain 16 when Tiger was an assistant captain. Zach was on that team. Zach is going to be one of Tiger's vice captains in Australia for the President's Cup. And they both insist. Tiger thinks team first, everything else second. He will not make the political correct decision. He won't make a, a pick to be popular. He will make a pick that is the best for the team. And right now, there's no way Tiger would be one of the best for that team. Especially when you look at, I mean, here, we just look at 9, 10, 11, and 12. Right now is Gary Woodland, Tony Finau, Ricky Fowler, and Patrick Reed. Now, can anybody really pick Tiger Woods over any of those four? No way. I, no, I, not in his present state. The only way I say is if hopefully we find out tomorrow or later today that he's going to play in Chicago and somehow, some way, he puts it together and plays well, gets to East Lake, plays well, plays well at Zozo, then, yeah, maybe. But I don't see any of that happening. I, I There's nothing I, that's, that's happened in the last week and a half to two weeks that lead you, would lead me or I think you to believe that's going to happen. I mean, a, an individual round, yeah, absolutely. I think if he's feeling good... Um, he knows Medina. He's had success at Medina. Um, he won a PGA championship there. Like he was on a, a Ryder Cup team, a, a losing Ryder Cup team, but he was there. He knows, of course, backwards and forwards. And I think that he, if he's feeling good, can put together a round or two. But right now, I don't see, or I don't see anything that leads me to believe that he is, you know, seventy-two hours away from having a top three or top five finish. And, no. and he needs to put a couple of those things together. One of the reasons why he needs to put that together is Tiger Woods is going to go into the BMW Championship number 38 on the FedEx Cup point list, which means he's outside of the top 30, and that would be the invite to get into uh, the Tour Championship. Looking ahead to the BMW, where you are at Medina, tell me a little bit about the golf course and when you think about it and hear about it. What, what are the things that go through your mind when, when people are talking about this venue? Well, first of all, for those of you who don't know, this is where Tiger won the 1999 PGA Championship by one shot over Sergio. This is where he won the 2006 PGA Championship in a much more comfortable uh, advantage. It was over Luke Donald. And, yes, and this is where uh, the United States Ryder Cup team couldn't hold on to a 10-4 to lead in the 2012 Ryder Cup, and the Europeans won the Ryder Cup 2012. You think of Medina, you think beast. You think big, big, big ballpark. And now, granted, there's three golf courses here, but this place is massive. It's a huge property. They're playing Medina number three, which is a long golf course. I walked about four holes today. That long golf course has some really thick, rough, and tall rough. And you have storms going through. There's rain in the yeah. area right now, yes? There's going to be a storm that's going to hit us, and it's going to last for about ten hours. and uh, And it hasn't wavered. It's going to. It's still. In, we're still in direct line of that impact coming. It's supposed to be in about an hour and a half. That'll soften an already softened golf course. Um, the, the fairways are a little generous, yes, but I mean, basically, you go to every tee and you go back thirty yards. It's unbelievable. They have all these back tees, and they'll play them back there. It's just a big ballpark. So. Right away, I think it favors the bombers. It favors the long straighter hitters, and of course, that means Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, 
Um, Bryson DeChambeau was long enough. Um, Tony Finau. Um, Phil Mickelson played 14 holes this morning, and I talked to his coach afterwards, and he just said the the rough is just brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, and the greens are a little pitch, too much, too much pitch in the greens. Um, and so right now they are slow, and they better remain slow or the greens are going to become a major hazard for the players. But this is just a big boys' ballpark, um, and you better bring everything you've got. Um, and the longer you are, the better you are. So that's what the players have in store for them. And it's a great ballpark. Believe me, it's the, the par 317, the par 313, two great par threes. Um, the par three second hole, great par threes over water. Um, great par fives. One of the par fives right now, Mickelson played it at 660 today. I mean, 645. <laughs> and he hit, he hit driver on the button. He hit three wood on the button. He was 55 yards short. It's massive. Um, so, and there's no wind. There's hardly any wind out there today. So it is soft. Um, Let me ask you this. So one of the players who ended up having a nice week in terms of collecting FedEx Cup points was Jordan Spieth. Spieth mm-hmm. um, had a really solid first two rounds, um, didn't put it together on Saturday. He and Dustin Johnson both struggled on Saturday, but then Jordan came back on Sunday and had a really nice finish, and he's going to enter the week um, at number 44 on the FedEx Cup point list, up from number 69. So he did what he needed to do. From the sounds of what you're describing, um, Spieth putted really, really well, but I think he putts fast greens really well. I've always wondered how successful and how comfortable he is when the greens get slow. And if there's a lot of moisture um, coming from this storm and the greens are soft, yeah, the greens being soft is, is nice for your approach shots and being able to stick it in there, and, that, and that's all that's great. But what, wh- how do you think this course matches up with, with Jordan, and do you think that he's capable right now of putting together four rounds? He put together three rounds at Liberty National. Mm-hmm. Do you see right now him being able to put four together? Well, I have to believe he's feeling as well as he's felt all year long right now. That not only has he given him a chance, not only did he get himself to the BMW, now he's given himself a chance to get to the Tour Championship. And he missed it last year, too, and, and I think that bugged him. Oh, I know it bugged um, him. I just asked him about he, it. I know it yeah, bugged him. He's 140 points out of 30th right now. And 140 when the points are quadrupled, and a whole lot, nope. you have to play well. you got to be in the top 15, that top 20. Uh, lengthwise, I don't think this course plays very well for him but you know slow greens I'm, you know i'll disagree with you he 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 won an open championship at burkdale those greens weren't exactly fast fair point um fair and point he was one he was one shot out of a playoff at at st andrews that year and those greens were really slow um at st andrews um in 2015 um i think his biggest his biggest worry here he's got to get the ball on the green um, to take advantage of the best part of his game and one of the best parts of anybody's game in the game, um, and this is a big ballpark. You got to hit driver. You're going to have to hit driver. You're just going to have to. And this rough is brutal. Um, I guess the only thing you can say if you're not long is this course. Nobody's going to be shooting 65, 65, 65. Well, you know, I know the greens are going to be soft, but we're supposed to have sun on Tuesday. We're supposed to have sun on Wednesday. It can dry out a little bit. But from what I heard about from Mickelson's coaching, from what I saw a couple other players playing the first four holes, you get into that rough, it is brutal. 
And so you got to play from the fairway. And that is a place where really Jordan hasn't played from a lot <laughs> as much as he would love to have played from this year. Um, but he's got a chance. I mean, look at Mickelson's a bomber and, you know, and Phil's sitting there at 46. Um, he needs a good week to get to the tour championship. There, there are a number and of so, big name players, you oh, know, who are sure. right now who are above the number 30 line. Hideki Matsuyama at 33, Francesco Molinar at 34. Um, you know, we mentioned Tiger at 38. Um, Ian Poulter at 43. He made a nice move last week going up from 60. Ryan Moore, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of guys, even JB Holmes, who we thought for a little while might be hosting, you know, hoisting up the Claret Jug. He's right now at 52. There are a bunch of players um, that that need to have a good week if they want to get there. Because as you know, explain to people when if you make the Tour Championship, you're like, okay, great, you know, you finish the year number 28. It's literally the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, isn't it? And it's a pot of gold into next year's rainbow too, because you make the Tour Championship, you get playing spots in the Masters. You get playing spots in next year's Masters, next year's U.S. Open, and next year's Open Championship. And to Harold Varner, who's never played in the Masters, hey, hey, that's huge. It's gigantic. That, that, that would mean more to him than the paycheck, unless it's the $15 million paycheck, but <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's an awful lot of big perks there. Plus, and, and players will tell you this, their favorite, one of their favorite tournaments of the year is the Tour Championship at Eastlake. One, it's a great historic golf course, Eastlake. It's right there in front of you. There's no tricks to it. It's just a beautiful golf course. But you have tea times at like 11.30 in the morning. It's very casual. You know, 30 <laughs> players, 15 twosomes. It's as know, relaxed it, a golf tournament as you're going to ever go to. Mm -hmm. If you're a fan who's in the Atlanta area, if you're somebody who's thinking about going to it, it is as casual a gathering of, of elite golfers as you're ever going to see. And we've seen some of the greatest golf. I mean, look at what happened last year. Was there a better scene in golf last year than Tiger Woods walking down the 72nd hole with all those people? It was unbelievable. The year before that, Justin Thomas with Xander Schauffele making birdie in the final hole to win the Tour Championship. Justin Thomas winning the uh, FedEx Cup. Justin Rose last year needing a birdie on that final hole to win the FedEx Cup. He makes birdie on the final hole to win the FedEx Cup. Um, when Rory won the FedEx Cup in a three-hole playoff, he holds out on the 70th, 70th hole and finally wins it with a birdie. Um, Billy Horschel came storming out of nowhere to win when he won the FedEx Cup in 14. Snedeker came out of nowhere when he won in 2012. Billy Haas came out of nowhere when he won. It's always a great tournament. I, I, there hasn't been a dull tournament. I mean, and it wasn't dull. I was there when Tiger won in 2007. Yeah, he won. He, he I was won there, the, too. It was the, he, he sucked the oxygen right out yeah, of the state of Georgia, but, but it was still amazing it, to see. Yeah, it was still phenomenal golf. Um, and then he won again in 2009, the FedEx Cup, but Phil won the Tour Championship. So, you know, there's Tim Fincham, about as happy as I've ever seen him, standing on the winner's podium with Phil Mickelson on one side and Tiger Woods on the other side. So there's a lot of great golf there. And like you said, it's so casual. It's laid back. Um, the food, the guys love Atlanta. There's a lot of great eating places. And they know it's twosomes, and there's 15 twosomes, and you're teeing off at 11 or 30 in the morning. And so, so there's a lot of perks to get to the Tour Championship, a so, lot of perks. So while you're in Chicago, um, if it were me, I'd say the over-under on hot dogs eaten would probably be four and a half, maybe five and a half. Um, are you a hot dog guy? I know you're from Minnesota. So well, I if, I was down, if I was downtown, oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I mean just, it's there's I, there's two places I always wanted to go to when I was covering baseball from 2000 2006. Fenway because they had the greatest sausages and hot dogs and peppers on the street right outside of Fenway. No argument. And the same thing at Wrigley. Um, and just I just don't know. It's it's quite a haul to get down there. You got to get to the train station, then train station all the way down. And I just don't know if I have the time to do that. Um, and, I think you have to make time to look into those dreamy blue eyes of Chris Bryant, though. I mean, being a Cub fan for for me, it's uh, it's been a good year. I think that we're two games up on those Cardinals right now. But uh, Chicago's just a great sport town. I mean, every time I've been to Chicago, either. For this tournament, the BMW, which it's, it's been out there. I think I went into it at Conway Farms. I've been out there for uh, for Ryder Cup and for some other events. It's just a big time sport town. People come out from Chicago and they support surf. It's also for, for a cold climate place. Five months out of the year, it's a rabid golf town too, isn't it? Oh yeah, you, you fly in here, you see golf courses, quite a few golf courses, but. I mean, there's it's the, the, all right in a big city. It's one of the biggest cities in the in, in the United States. Of course, there's a lot of things to do. But one of the marvel, one of the things I've always marveled at is, you know, my brother lives here. Used to live three blocks from Wrigley. Now I think he lives about half a mile from Wrigley. Is you go to the lake and it looks like the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And then you just walk back, or you walk away from the lake, you know, ten blocks, and you're in the middle of the big, one of the biggest cities. Um, it's unique. And so, they've got a great transit system here. You know, they got the L, they got the bus yeah. system here. It's yeah. phenomenal. they got a great transit system here. And there's little dive bars almost on every corner. And and they're, they don't gouge you to death. <laughs> Unlike and, and what we experienced in great. Jersey City and, and I, I experienced in Manhattan, where the gouge was pretty much the, the whole deal. I'll tell you a funny a funny story. So when I was dating the woman that is now my wife, I took her out. My family is a lot of families in the Chicago area. And we went to a little town that basically time forgot called Union Pier, Michigan. And I said, oh, we're going to go out to the lake. We'll swim, go play in the sand dunes. Unbelievable beach. You know, you fly right over it if you're flying from the East Coast into really into both Midway and O'Hare. And she's like, mm-hmm. you know. I wasn't a geography major in college, but like I know that like beach and Michigan, Chicago area. She's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you go out there and Union Pier from Chicago is about an hour and a half if traffic, you know, around the Indiana border gets a little bit. And it's 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 idyllic. It's like, you know, literally like it's like Walton Mountain never left. 1952 and just like is still going on out there. And Chicago is just such a different vibe. Uh, than New York or Los Angeles, you know, to me it is the epitome of Middle America. And yes, it's it's got millions of people and, and this and that. But uh, it's I, I'm sure, Steve, as you you head out there this week, that you're going to see big crowds. You've got a big ballpark for it, and uh, it should be pretty amazing stuff. Oh yeah, and and we've played at Conway Farms here, and they've always got a big crowds, and that was a much harder place to get to. It's a lot easier for people, even though it was still easy for them. They make it really good. This this is one of the best one tournaments there is. Is there any they truth to the rumor easy. that uh, Rory McIlroy is going to be getting a police escort back and forth <laughs> from his hotel again? I would sure hope he doesn't need it this time, and hopefully he's not playing downtown. I can't remember what player put it out there. Oh, no, it was Evan Priest, uh, the Associated Press uh, writer from Australia, saying, my first time to Chicago, should I stay downtown and drive up each day to Medina? <laughs> 
And I, I don't think he wants to do that. No, no, no I don't think you no, want to do no that shot. at all. I would no. stay out there in Schaumburg or, or something like that and just make life easier for yourself. Steve, have a great week out there. I'll look forward to reading your stuff on Golf Week and uh, golfweek.com and up in USA Today. So if people want to follow you up on social media, how can they do it? It's uh, on Twitter, Steve underscore Demeglio, D-I capital M-E-G-L-I-O. And um, it's same name at uh, on Facebook. Have a great week out there, buddy. You too, big man.